Well, good morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, choir. Take your Bibles as we continue our study in this sometimes difficult but so important book of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter in the first century to the Corinthian church with a church with problems like all churches have problems because we are people and people are sinners, right? So God's Word addresses so many of our important issues. In chapter 15, we have been looking at the importance of the resurrection. It is that, that key foundational doctrine of our faith um, about our new body, as, as, uh, as Pastor Nate was mentioning. You know, there's a, there's a bluegrass-style gospel song by Mark Lowry and many others called Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. A lot of truth to that. Uh, David wrote about the valley of the shadow of death. That's hard. But then he said, but we'll fear no evil because you're with us in that valley. And then what we've seen now in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is that uh, death is the enemy. The last enemy to be defeated is death. And Jesus, by his resurrection, defeated death. So this body will die unless, of course, this is our passage next week, we are raptured first. But otherwise, every body dies, and then this body will be resurrected like Christ was. Does that raise any questions, though? Well, it raises a lot of questions, and this section of 1 Corinthians 15, this verses 35 to 49, answers a lot of those questions because Paul is answering questions of probably his critics, but it's questions that uh, we would ask as well. Let's read verses 35 to 37. It's on page 934 if you're using our Bibles, 934. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Just as the life of a seed continues in the plant, so also our new bodies will be a continuation of this old body, the seed. So Paul says, he's a little bit exasperated by the questions, it seems, because he answers it with, how foolish. But they're asking, how are the dead raised? He's, he's responding, it seems, to some of the same critics that we've seen implied already, the ones who said, there's not a real physical resurrection. There's no way that can be because there was this, this Greek idea, which is very similar to what many people believe today, is that, you know, there, there's an immortality of the soul. There's some, some kind of a spirit existence after, after death. And Paul says, no, we're, we're going to be physically raised. So people say, well, come on, Paul, what do you mean by that? I mean, you know what happens. You get sick, you get injured, you die violently in a war or something, and your body is dead. It disintegrates uh, Paul, what, what kind of body is that like? And so Paul answers that both for, for cynics and the sincere. And what he does really in the following verses is to hit at the assumption of the critics of the resurrection by saying the same God who created everything that you see, 
from nothing can certainly recreate a body that has died and become dust or whatever. And so he points to three creation illustrations to demonstrate God's ability to resurrect physically. The first is seeds. So he says, think about seeds. When you sow, verse 37, or rather verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but a seed of wheat or something else. So it's kind of like this. This is soybeans. The seed really doesn't look like the plant. But that seed produces that plant. There is, a, there is an organic connection between the seed and the plant. And so the new body is going to be a continuation of the old body. What you sow cannot come to life unless it dies. So a dry soybean seed can be sit there forever dry. You plant it in the ground and it comes to life. You bury it and it comes to life. Uh, raised on the farm, my, I remember my dad, uh, when he would harvest soybeans in the fall, uh, he would save some of the seed for next year to plant for next year's crop, right? But before he would plant the new soybeans, he would take like a handful out of the, be- out of the bin, and he'd bring them in the house, and he'd lay them on a cloth, I think he'd put them in rows of ten, and, and then he, that cloth, he covered the cloth with another cloth, and then he soaked it and rolled it up and set it aside. And then a number of days later, he would unroll the cloth to see if, how many of the seeds had germinated. And if it was around 90%, he knew he had good seed. So he took dead-looking seeds, they could have sat there all winter long in the bin, and they became multiplying, thriving plants. And God does that, Paul says. So when you see the body of a a friend or a loved one lowered into the ground, if they have put their faith in Christ, Paul says, it's not over. Because it's like planting a seed and there's a continuity. Death is a Necessary step to new life with that body becomes the new body. You do not plant the body that will be but just a seed. The seed will live. The plant will be different in some amazing ways, but there's a continuation. There's a continuity. The plant is the seed that you planted. And so his first illustration from creation shows the similarity of the new body that we'll have with the old body we have now. But of course, we'll see there are some exceptional and uh, uh, eternal differences. But it's not just gone forever. See, the same, the same God who created from nothing, right? By the word of his mouth, he spoke the entire creation into being. So if, if you can truth accept that truth, then why is it difficult to accept the truth that, that the molecules of dust that still remain from somebody who died and was buried maybe centuries ago, that God can gather and reconstitute those molecules into the new person, or even 
if someone dies at sea, they throw them overboard, 12 different sharks eat the body, whatever, that God, who created all things out of nothing, can gather the molecules to recreate and give us a new body. Randy Alcorn, in his eye-opening, fascinating biblical book called Simply Heaven, suggests that our resurrection body may have the same DNA as our body does now because God created DNA. And Jesus, when he was raised, said that he had flesh and bones. Flesh and bones have DNA. And of course, God can perfect DNA so no longer is it uh, imperfect, but rather indestructible. You see, Jesus, when he was raised, was the same person. And I want to point out some of the passages about Jesus' resurrection body, because if you glance ahead to, chapter, to the end of our passage today, which is verse 49, he says, we're going to have a body like Christ. So let's try to understand what Christ's body was like. So the night of the resurrection day, okay, so he raised in the morning, he appeared to the disciples in the upper room where they were gathered, trembling in fear, wondering if they were next to die. This is the same uh, event here in Luke as in, found in John 20. Jesus himself suddenly stood among them, just like showed up in the room, right? And said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. So, you know, in their mindset, like so many today, the only way you can see someone that died before is there a, you're seeing their spirit, you're seeing a ghost. Jesus says, is this a ghost? You know, touch me. I'm not a ghost. They had, their assumption was, according to their presuppositions, that we become spirits, but Jesus died, he was buried, they saw him, they, they, he was put in the tomb, they rolled the stone, he, that can't be him, he must be a spirit. No, he says, it's me. Keep reading. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Why are we told that? Because he did it. Because we're supposed to know what the resurrection body is like. It's, a, it's remarkable for its normal humanness, though different in other ways. Now, will we have the same ability to show up in a room, pass through doors? Can't say that for sure. That could have been something Jesus did with uh, divine prerogative, but clearly he's physical and touchable. Peter was making the point some years later in the book of Acts about the resurrection of Jesus, and he recalled these events. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen visually, right? He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who, what, ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Very human, very physical, very real as we live in the new heavens and the new earth described in Revelation uh, 21 and 22. So we need to let go of some of the vague, surreal, um, poofy versions of heaven. It's real, physical, touchable. And, as these passages have shown, our new 
Our new life in heaven is relational. Before and after the resurrection, Jesus just continued the relationship that he had with these disciples. He kind of picked up where he had left off. I think it's, it's, it's very legitimate for us to assume that we will perfectly continue the relationships we have now with both people and with Jesus Christ. Which urges us to develop our relationship with Jesus Christ. How do you talk to him? That's what prayer is. We talk to him and he talks to us through his word. And so that time that you and I need to spend with him on a regular basis is part of a relationship that is to be continued. Where we can, we can someday, I'm imagining, continue the conversation and say, Jesus, remember when I grieved so much. Remember when I was in so much pain. Remember when I was so worried. Remember when I was so disappointed. And he says, I know, I know. And then suddenly all those questions will either be answered or rendered irrelevant. I don't know which. Continuity. The first illustration of the seeds makes the point of how it's really a continuation. The next creation comparison makes the point that just as bodies on earth can be different but similar, bodies, our new body in heaven will be different but similar. Uh, read again verse 38 and on. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives his own body, all flesh. Here's the new illustration. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. Okay? There's similarity in what God has created, whether it's human flesh, animal, birds, whatever. You, 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 I mean, every kid knows that. You show them a little picture book, and they know that's a bird, that's a fish, that's an elephant. And yet they're different. Same, different, same. That all fits together. And likewise, the God who created all that unique beauty and differences but similarities in this natural created world will do the same. And so we'll, we'll still be unique. We'll still be, be different from one another. But in an obviously new and eternally improved body. Still seeking to convince the Corinthians of God's ability to recreate a perfect body. He now goes next to a third illustration, the inanimate parts of God's creation. He goes from seeds to, to flesh, animal, man, and now verse 40. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is of another. So, you know, what you see in, in Colorado is different than what you see in the sky. And then this, verse 41, the sun has one kind of splendor, and the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differ from star in, in splendor. So he's just pointing to the beautiful variety of that which has splendor in God's creation now to say there will be a difference somehow in our unique splendor in our eternal existence and body in heaven. Some have wondered, so do we... Literally shine when we're in heaven? 
because there's a couple of passages that do speak of us as resurrected believers shining. Daniel 12, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Amazing to ponder that. Jesus said similarly in Matthew, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. How literal is this? I'm not sure. There's no evidence, of course, that Jesus shone with his brilliance. He had to veil his glory on earth lest he destroy us with glory. As God said when he spoke to Moses and said, tell the people, while I'm up here in Mount Sinai, don't have them come close, they'll die if if they saw my glory. But momentarily, of course, Jesus showed three disciples his glory Remember, Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, Peter, James, and John could see his glory just briefly. You know, God allowed them to survive. And then the resurrected Christ, of course, has glory because as you read Acts 7, Stephen, that godly man who died as he's being stoned to death, it says he saw, quote, the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So there's glory in Jesus standing there. And Paul Acts chapter 9, he was blinded when he was on the way to Damascus to uh, capture more Christians, put them in jail, right? But Jesus appeared and blinded him with a light from heaven. Go to the book of Revelation and you find that indeed there is uh, uh, glory and, and brightness. Will we shine? I don't know, but if we are, if we are resurrected, new, perfect, Dressed in white and near Jesus, somehow we're not going to be very dark or goth, I don't think. We're going to be bright. We don't have all the answers. But aren't the questions kind of exciting to begin to think? Two biblical scholars from a couple generations back, Robertson and Plummer, wondered if maybe Paul's words about different splendor here, quote, meant possible differences in the glories of the risen saints implying that somehow it reflects or is part of our reward or something. So he takes these illustrations, seed, flesh, star splendor, and applies it, verse 42, just so you know what I'm talking about. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. So I'm trying to communicate to you, Paul says, some of what I know about the reality of the resurrection. And so he applies it, uh, he continues to apply it by saying, our bodies will be the same but perfected. And so in verses 42 to 44, he says, here are the, here's four essential upgrades that we're going to need in the the new heavens and the new earth in our body. Here they are. Middle of verse 42, the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. I like the way he uses the seed sowing. It's such a great illustration. So it goes from perishable to imperishable. Secondly, verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. First one, perishable, has to do with does it die? No, the new body does not die. It's not just that we don't die as if we're a spirit. No, the, the body we're in 
will not die. Let go, Paul says, of your pagan, vague ideas of immortality that were somehow spirits floating around. It's, it's, a, it's a, one of the most... That we, the idea that we become spirits or angels is one of the most common heresies still around in our culture today in Ozaki County. Religious people, maybe you have believed we become angels, we do not. God created angels, they are spirit beings that serve him. God created human beings with a body, and he created us to serve him as well. Angels are angels, people are people. We will have bodies. The body, secondly, is uh, going from dishonorable to honorable or glorious. The word dishonorable literally is the word shameful. And we all kind of agree that there's something distasteful about a corpse very quickly. Just the life is gone. Emergency workers cover the body and the face. And, and indeed, it's fine to embalm, embalm someone to get a, a kind of a temporary effort to allow us to view and process death. But we know that body was a, was a temporary body with an expiration date, or, or is it an expiration date? Because the, it has a future. That body will be raised in glory. Not a different body, not a replacement body switch. That body is raised. So think about it. A perfect you. Your body, perfect. While you're thinking about that, I'm going to step away from the Bible because I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't think there's mirrors in heaven. So, you know, you got that perfect body and you won't even be looking at yourself, I think. Unless you're looking down at that, that street of gold that you see your reflection, but I don't think you will because there's no vanity in heaven. There's not self-consciousness, insecurities in heaven. We won't be embarrassed we won't be comparing. We won't be flexing our muscles. That's all part of fallen sinful nature. You know, as, as, if we think, is it, is it? They ask the question, how are the dead raised? What kind of bodies? And Paul says, let, let, let me try it to, to, to answer. Paul didn't, Paul could only share what God gave him. And so we don't know it all, but we can trust God that everything he said is true and trust God with the things that we don't know and sometimes guess a bit at. Thirdly, the body that was weak is raised strong because indeed a corpse can do exactly nothing, but we'll be raised in power so that we will have the energy, power, and strength endlessly to do whatever service God assigns us to do. Because we'll serve him. When Jesus talks about the parable of the cities, I, I kind of take that literally. There's, there are cities and there's work and there's, there's profitable things to do. Number four, the body. This body is natural. If there is a natural body, it is sown, verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. That gets kind of interesting because um, natural we understand as being this limited body. What's a spiritual body? Because again, a spiritual body does not mean a spirit. It's not body versus spirit because as Jesus said, we're not 
becoming spirits, but we will have a spiritual body. Paul wouldn't have said body if the word body didn't mean anything, and the word body means something physical and literal, so it's a different kind of body. So we go from a, a natural, this body, to a maybe supernormal, if you want to use that term, supernormal, supernatural body. The point is transformation of the same body. Proof is, when Jesus was raised from the dead, the tomb was empty. If he has simply become a spirit that appeared, then could have kept the tomb sealed and the body still in there. But no, it was that body which was transformed, the same body that was conceived in Mary, the body that, 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 that grew to adulthood and walked and talked and, and ate and died and was buried. That body was raised physically. And the linen claws with which, they, which wrapped that body were now no longer needed, so they were folded and laying to the side. That body was raised. If Paul had meant that we had gone, went from a physical body to a spirit who earned its wings, like Clarence, don't get your theology from great Christmas movies, it's a wonderful life. No, we have a supernatural body that is transformed. Philippians, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his. We have every reason to look at the, the body of Christ, the before and after versions. It's a body that will not die. Adam and Eve, when they were created without sin, I don't believe however brief time that could have been, they were getting gray hair, wrinkles, or battling the flu, because those things happened when sin came. Back in verse 22, as in Adam all die, so in Christ we're made alive. So sin brought the corruption of the, of the body and disease and all that thing. But then the curse will be reversed because of our link to Christ. But if, it, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, we're like Adam, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, gives life because of righteousness, Christ's righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and He does live in every, human, every uh, believer in Christ, then He who raised Christ, that's the Spirit from the dead, will also give life to your mortal body, Bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. He says, he says it very clearly. This body will be raised because the spirit is in us. Because we are linked to Christ. If it's sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Our body will be eternal because it is linked to the eternal one, Jesus Christ. Paul's next line of reasoning is then to connect that we are now like the first Adam, the real created Adam, we will then be like Jesus Christ. Picking it up in the middle of verse 44, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being or soul, and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The last Adam refers to, to Jesus. Interesting. So he goes natural body, spiritual body. 
The body has a natural state, state a supernatural state. And uh, just kind of interesting, hang with me and you have to get past this next slide if, if I get confused or you do. It's interesting to me that the, the words that he uses for natural and spiritual are actually the words soul and spirit. So natural in both first verse 44 and verse 45 is the word soul. And the soul, we're, we have a soul body now, which is made for this earth. We'll have a spirit body, but body that is fit for heaven. So that's verse 44, but now here's verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Some of your translations say soul. It became a living soul. And the last Adam, that's Jesus, a life-giving spirit. So the natural is the soul. The spirit is the spirit. He's quoting from Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. What does that mean? Adam and Eve, you and me, have flesh just like animals. Lungs, eyes, hair, whatever. A lot of similarities. But he breathed into Adam the breath of life because he became a living soul. See, as part of the image of God, because we are made in the image of God, we are able to comprehend God, right? Your dog's not thinking about God while he's laying there in the sun. Every human being thinks about God because we are drawn to think about God and God calls us, God wants a relationship with us and so he draws us to the word of God where he spoke to us so that we can understand the plan of salvation of God so we can become a child of God because we are souls. And as souls then, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit that's what changes everything. That's where the guarantee of the new body comes is because we have the Holy Spirit. We are already spiritually alive just waiting for the new spiritual body. So those who have the Spirit have new bodies. Continuing where we were a moment ago in Romans 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right to the present time. So yes, the, the, the creation has some struggles because it's corrupted by sin and sinful people. Not only so, not just the, the inanimate world, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. How many wake up with a groan? You don't need to raise your hand. But there's so many things about this body that make us groan. Just know it's a path to the redemption of the body where you will never groan. So verse 45 is saying that Adam was the life receiver and his body housed the soul. Every, every human being, believer, unbeliever, has the soul. And so the soul has a chance to respond to the plan of God, the word of God, or not. But if you respond to the word of God, then Jesus becomes the life-giving spirit. Adam, the life receiver sinned and died as a result. Jesus, the life giver, never sinned, paid for your sin, died for your sin, and rose again. And that's why we can be gloriously transformed. And so Paul continues in verses 46 to 48 to just with what flows naturally comparing uh, Adam to, to Jesus. In other words, this body 
to that body. Verse 46, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural body. After that, the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was of the dust of the earth. The second man, from heaven. As it was with the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as it is from the... And as is the man from heaven, Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven. Are you of heaven? First man. So we have an Adam body, Adam body first, A-D-A-M. Adam body, then we have a Jesus body. The first one was a dust body. God made us from the dust of the earth. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. There's an old story about a child who came home from Sunday school and asked his mom, Do people really come from dust? The mom goes, Well, yes, in a sense, trying to explain that. He said, then the boy said, Did, Do people go back to dust? Well, well yes. That's really true. The mom began to reply, Well, mom, I looked under my bed. Someone's either coming or going. (laughs) You've heard it probably. The man from heaven. We were like Adam, made of dust, and now we are like the man from heaven, middle of verse 48. But when it says from heaven here, It probably is not referring to where Jesus came from, though that is true. Okay, The incarnation, Christmas, is true. Jesus came from heaven to earth. But this man from heaven is probably a contrast between not where he came from, but what his body is like. We have the dust body from Adam, and we have the heaven body from Jesus. So he brings this all together in verse 49 to say, you have a body like Christ. You will have. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, Adam, and we do, the effects of sin, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Uh, Couldn't be more clear we have a likeness to Jesus. So the passages of post-resurrection, parents of Jesus become come fascinating for us. Does it answer every, every question? No. I, I'm pretty sure we probably raised a lot of questions today, right? Start thinking about heaven and our body and, you know, if we eat, does that mean we get hungry? Do we get thirsty? Because there's a river of life and we can drink from the river, of, we'll drink from the river of life. And uh, if we eat, does that mean we're hungry? I'm not sure it does. I can eat ice cream without being hungry. I don't know. Will digestion be the same? I don't know. Foods will be perfect. God's going to recreate many things. There's many things we don't know. It's okay. But we know what Jesus, what God's word has said, and we can trust God with that, which he didn't, and we know it's going to be beyond anything we could ask or think. Most importantly, perhaps, our similarity to Christ is the reality that we will be like him both physically and without sin. First John. John, of course, inspired to say the same truth. Dear friends, now we are children of God. We're, you already have your status, okay? Eternal life is secure. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have eternal life, so you are a child of God. 
But it has not, and it has not, and what we will be has not yet been made known. So we don't know it all. But we know that when Christ appears, that's when he comes back in the rapture. That's when the resurrection takes place. That's our study next week, the next, very next section. He knows we're asking those questions. When Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We can't now see him as he is, but we will see him as he is. And here's, this is great. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Hope, by the way, in the New Testament always means confidence. So when you have the confidence of this truth, it has a purifying effect. It should have a purifying effect. So the two big transformations is, first of all, physically. God knows we needed to hear that. It's not just, you know, we'll look better, no wrinkles. But there'll be no high blood pressure, no headaches, arthritis, no, digest no digestive issues, no quadriplegia, no mental illness, no cerebral palsy, no cancer, no de degenerative diseases, no, yeah, cancer, gone. Cancer, gone. But more than that, no sin. Which is why we will not die. Because we will not sin, so there is no more guilt. No regret. No more temptation to sin. No more addictive sins. How should that impact, John says? As we read this in November 2023, he says, this should impact you in this way. You're going to have this perfect, sinless body and state forever. That's your target. And the reason that God gave us the Holy Spirit now is to be transforming us to be more like Him, be more conformed to Him. And the more we, we can grasp and, and, and rest in our eternal future, the more motivated we should be to purify ourselves because we're headed towards a sinless forever. But he doesn't zap us with that purity. He gave us the Holy Spirit to live within us so we could lean on the power of the Holy Spirit for things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. These, these things don't come naturally. They come supernaturally. But they are part of what God wants us to focus on. That we are becoming more pure like that which we will be perfectly someday. This truth is for believers in Christ. Believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit. I trust that's you. And if, and if for any reason you are uncertain of your eternal state, then you need to look at your relationship with Christ. What are you trusting in for eternal life? All over the world, people trust in a variety of lists written by some religion. 
There is no list. There is only faith in Christ. If you go back to the first verses of chapter 15, that's where he started. He says, I want to make sure, he says, that you know the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, so that you have not believed in vain, end of verse 2. Make sure you're not believing in something that's going to be worthless. So what must you put your faith in? What must you believe in, trust in? Very simply, verses 3 through 8 says, Christ died for our sins, and he was buried. He rose from the dead, and he appeared, literally. Are you trusting in Christ alone, who died for your sins and rose again? If you have any questions about that, please make sure you talk with someone, talk with Pastor Nate or myself or someone else you know here that could share that with you because our, one of our, our, our first goal as a church and church family and those who believe and want to proclaim God's word is to help someone come into a personal relationship with Christ. That all that we've talked about, all that Paul has, has, has revealed to us here, that we would know for sure that that is our future forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your amazing word and amazing truth that you did not leave us in the dark about those many questions that we have. You told us just enough to whet our appetite wonderfully about our future. You told us everything we need to know so that you, our future would be secure, that we would not wonder, wish, or hope we have eternal life, that we would know we have eternal life, but that life is only found through your son, Jesus, who died for our sins and who rose again. And so I pray, Lord, that you would continue to uh, feed us with your word, help us to uh, daily be in your word, that our hearts can be corrected from all of our pursuits of lesser things, to be uh, focused on you, the one who's called us to be perfectly holy, pure, and, and wonderfully recreated in a new body someday, that we would be uh, growing in holiness day by day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.